Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. I'm going to ask you to remain standing for a reading of the gospel. This is taken from the 14th chapter, uh, excuse uh, the uh, 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, uh, reading from the 16th through the 26th verses. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, Surely not I, he said to them. It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as, as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born." And while they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." And then when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And today we say, may the reading of this word be blessed by the spirit to which I hope you say amen. Amen. Won't you be seated? Friends, I can tell you that it feels rather odd to stand back in this place again. Um, it's, uh, I won't call it a new experience after almost 10 years standing here. It seems like an old experience reinvented. Uh, I've been out and about doing some other things. Debbie and I get to come to church periodically when I'm not preaching other places and sit up high in the balcony. I don't know if she's there today. Oh, well, she's, she's sitting in the middle. You're in the wrong place, darling. Uh, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, we sit up in the balcony and uh, cheer Bert on. Uh, I will say at the very beginning of this uh, that today I was, uh, when Richard was praying for those running in the marathon, I ran my first and only marathon 37 years ago. Can you believe 37 years ago, my first and only marathon. And it was so painful, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean... Uh, <laughs> My wife said amen uh, to that. I I didn't get out of bed for a week after I finished that thing and swore by all that is holy, I will never do that again, okay? (laughs) Been true to my word on that one. Uh, Never did that uh, again. One of the things that it reminded me of, though, uh, is some of the vicissitudes uh, of life. Uh, and the intimations that we have, and I ask you all this question, just looking around the room today, lots of young folks who probably have not gone through this, but some of you with uh, less hair and graying hair know this. Have you received intimations of your own mortality? Has that ever happened for you? Any, any kind of hints of your own mortality that have come? When Richard reads the list of everybody who's fallen off ladders and broken limbs uh, in our church over the past couple of weeks, all I want to say to you is, 
All you old people, stay off the ladders, will you? I mean, just, get, just don't get up on them, okay? Um, be reminded of, of, of all that. Well, I had um, uh, one of those intimations of my own mortality this very week. And I will tell you, as I get into this uh, uh, sermon on, the, uh, on Holy Communion, I'm going to sort of backdoor it, as I often do with things. I'm going to backdoor it, kind of come into it on the backside, and hope by the time we finish and wrap it up that you get some notion of how we embrace communion itself. Intimations of my own mortality. Um, I played golf this week for the first time in a long, long time. This past year's been busy. I bet I haven't hit a golf ball twice, and I decided to go out with the preachers. There's a bunch of preachers that pray on Friday. Bert, Dr. Palmer's one of those, um, uh, one of those who comes and plays, and, and I decided to go and play with them. We played at a course that's just off of Cypress Creek, if you know that area of town, uh, just off Cypress Creek, a golf course over there. And so there are creeks and ravines that run through that golf course off of Cypress Creek, uh, which in other parts of the world are probably known as a river. Uh, in Texas, it's just a creek. But nonetheless, uh, there are ravines that run through there. And one of the holes, uh, in order to hit the fairway, you have to hit it over a fairly broad ditch, ravine, creek, branch, whatever you want to call it, over to the other side to get it to the fairway. A shot that I've made through the years with relative ease. Well, I'm now hitting from the old man tees, and I still hit it in the ditch uh, when I got up there. So I uh, rode the cart around uh, and spotted the ball. I now, because of vision issues, I use orange balls instead of white balls. You can actually find them. Okay. <laughs> I'm down and looking in the ditch of this orange ball, uh, and I spot it. I spot the, I spot the ball. All right, I got the ball. Uh, uh, my penalty won't be too great, um, although I've reached the age where we no longer declare penalties. We just move the ball, you know, that, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I crawl down in the ditch, uh, retrieve the ball, throw it up in the fairway. Now, great shot, wasn't it? I threw it up in the fairway, okay, so I could hit it from uh, the fairway. And then is when the intimations of my own mortality begin to hit me. And I ask myself, Welch, how are you going to get out of this ditch? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't too steep an angle. It wasn't 90 degrees. It was more like a little more than 45 degree angle. And I started trying to climb up, and I fell back down. And I looked around, hoping none of these other young golfers would see me trying to get out of the ditch. Okay. I finally crawled out of the ditch on all fours like a baby, okay, <laughs> trying to get up to the other side. Intimations of your own mortality, friends, they hit with some regularity in life. What I want us to say about Holy Communion today is related to that. This is a really personal sermon, uh, highly idiosyncratic, if you will, um, or it's what I embrace about Holy Communion. And some of that's related to those intimations that I received at the bottom of a ditch trying to get out of a chase a golf ball. Okay? Whatever it is for you, I'm sure you've had it through the years. But let me just share with you why Holy Communion has become an integral part of my life. Is it actually always has been and is even more important now. Growing up, uh, I remember all the words we spoke uh, during Holy Communion, the Old Communion Liturgy. 
where we bewailed our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed. Y'all remember those words? Some of you are older. By thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord. That was the, sort of the confession one made in an earlier form of the communion liturgy that's been somewhat changed in the new hymnal and in our practice, but nonetheless, those words continue to come back to me, and that thought is expressed in the liturgy itself. There's a promise that we often overlook in Holy Communion and in the liturgy itself, and I want to remind you of it today. We are reminded in the Holy Communion that we await the coming of the Lord, okay? Until that day when we feast at his heavenly banquet. You remember those words that we speak? Maybe you just skip over them in the liturgy and it becomes commonplace and you no longer hear it. You so have overheard the gospel so many times that it loses its meaning and its importance and its value in your life. We feast at his heavenly banquet until we feast at his heavenly banquet. There's a, a, another line that we repeat in the creeds that we speak, and we talk about the promise of the Lord's return. We will abide with these things until the Lord returns. Now, for much of the world, that's a nonsensical notion, okay? And maybe for some of you as well. It's simply a nonsensical notion that there comes a time there will be coming a time when history itself will end. Now, with wars and rumors of wars, as like it's spoken of in Scripture in the 24th chapter of Matthew, with disease and illness, who would have ever believed would be wearing masks to worship? Who would have thought that even three years ago? Who would have thought that we were our national Anxiety would be raised to the point where people don't sleep, where our children have rising psychiatric issues because of that anxiety. Who would have thought that? It's no wonder then that I've been asked as a pastor, Jim, do you think the Lord's going to return? Is the, are these signs of the end? Okay. Is the world going to end? And in conversation with one man who asked me that, he truly believed that we are pressing up upon that end time. He had no difficulty in believing these promises that we speak in the creeds and relay in the communion liturgy that the Lord will come again. But I'll tell you, friends, a lot of you have trouble with that. I've had trouble with it before in my own life with that statement because it just seems strange, okay? It seems fantastic. It seems unbelievable that at some given time, in some given place, God's going to bring human history to an end, and the world as I know it and as you know it will pass away. Now, we don't have any trouble believing that human beings may bring the world to an end or bring life to an end as we know it. We live in an age where some madman can press a button and destroy the world with nuclear weapons or in some lab in some, some place in the world, okay? <laughs> a virus will be released, okay? That will affect the entire world. 
We don't have any trouble thinking that we could end up simply incinerated in that kind of world. Human beings, yeah, we can bring the world to an end. We know that quite well in life. But God? Will God do that? Well, that's a different thought, is it not? That God is bringing the world to an end, that the day will come when we will feast at the heavenly banquet, prepared by the Lord that Jesus will come again and usher that kingdom into the world? According to Scripture, the world as we know it is not something that has always been here. We proclaim and proclaim it on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, that our world had a beginning when God, who is the Alpha and the Omega of all time, said, let it be, and our planet, our lives, came into existence, and the earth and the life we now know, we say, we experience, will not just keep on going through some natural cycle of birth and life and death, or just evolve endlessly into a new form. No, there comes a day, according to what we believe as Christians, when it all ends, when God will say, enough. That's it. Enough of wars and rumors of wars. Enough of human injustice. Enough of human greed. Enough of the sin of humankind. Let my kingdom be. Let my kingdom, God will say, come on earth as it is in heaven. And then our creeds and our liturgy and the promise of Scripture itself tell us that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Another old line that I remember well from my childhood and say in my prayers even now, the Lord will come to judge what? The quick and the dead. Okay? That that day is coming. We'll all stand before the throne of God and hear his evaluation of us and the world as we have known it from the beginning from God, it will be brought to its end in God himself. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Paul writes these words to the church at Rome in the 13th chapter. He says to that church, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You all hear that? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That is, we move one day closer to that time when Jesus, the Son of Man, will return to set up God's kingdom on earth. Matthew 24, 24th chapter of Matthew, tells us that on that day, that our God in Christ is going to make some choices. Two men will be at work, it says in Scripture, and one will be taken into the kingdom, and the other will be left outside. Two women will be preparing a meal, and one will be taken, and another one will be left. And that's the Scripture's way of saying, you see, that God in the return of his Son is going to make some choices among us. Choices as to who will inherit eternal life, and who will not? I'll tell you, I really want to forget that most days. Okay? 
I just want to forget scripture ever says that or just not deal with it or else deny it. When I go about my daily routine, as the gospel lesson says, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, raising kids, earning a salary, jogging, doing aerobics, climbing up ladders from which I might fall, reading and napping and all these other things, watching TV one after the next, and forget that there is a dimension to my life that I put aside, and that dimension is eternity itself. The question of how Welch stands in relation to God and Jesus Christ. And again, I'll say, some of you may think this is all nonsense. This is all preacher talk. Certainly the world thinks that to a large degree. That how I conduct my life is not important to God. Or how you might conduct your life. Many people believe that it is God's purpose to forgive us no matter what goes on. Of course God forgives. That's God's business. But Paul writes in another letter these words, God is not mocked. For whatever persons sow, they will also reap. Galatians 6. And you and me, in that final judgment, we might have our lives count for absolutely nothing in Christ's eyes. Christ can judge what I've done to be absolutely useless for God's purposes in the world. And I could be the one left outside using Jesus' figure of speech. The ones who are robbed of their place at the banquet seat in the eternal kingdom. And when that time comes, when the end comes, as surely it will, God in Christ Jesus will make his choices among us. I don't want to know about you, but sometimes, sometimes when I reflect on that, and particularly when I get these intimations of mortality that I've spoken of, when that happens, the teachings of Scripture, they scare me to death. They really do. Let me borrow some words from a black spiritual that you know well. Sometimes, James Weldon Johnson wrote, it causes me to what? Tremble, tremble, tremble. God help us. It causes me to tremble. To think of me standing before Jesus, our Lord, returned in risen glory, and to have the Lord examine every minute of how I've lived my life. Now, the saying that we sing in church is true that God's eye is on the sparrow, but I also know that his eye is on an old buzzard like me, too. Not just on the sparrow. And I secretly suspect, in my heart of hearts, there are some days when I look more like a buzzard before God than I do a sparrow. To be sure, you and I have done great things for the kingdom through the years, things we could recount to the Lord. We've given our time, our energy, our talent, our money. We've done all those things. We've comforted those in need. We've offered kindness when kindness has been needed. We've said prayers, as we've done today, for those who are in deep pain and hurt and anguish. We've poured out our work, and we've cared for those, uh, uh, and chil- those children and families. But in our secret hearts, in my heart, friend, I know how flawed my life has been. I know it deep within. I know how anxious I get about my children and grandchildren. 
I know those times when resentment has risen, when resentment has risen against those who I perceived have wronged me. I've resented those occasions when people have offended my pride. How often I've thought about my own welfare and status instead of forgetting myself in the service of Christ. And so the thought of the last phase in human history, he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. Yeah, brothers and sisters, that causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Down to my boots. But the question I want to ask all of us today is not whether you tremble, but why should I do that? Why should I tremble at this thought? Why should I tremble at the thought of standing before Christ? After all, the one who is coming is the same one whose birth we just got through celebrating a few short weeks ago, proclaiming that a loving God sent his son into the world precisely for saving people like you and me. Didn't we say that on Christmas Eve? Y'all say amen. Thank you very much, okay? We said it, we sang it, we prayed it. Christ was not present in, our, in flesh and blood to take up residence, okay, with simply a bunch of poor and hopeless sinners. No, he was born into the world of injustice. He was born into a world of religion that was gone sour with self-righteousness. He walked the streets that were lined with the homeless, where he lined the streets, with, he walked streets that were lined with prostitutes and with people who had simply gone over the edge. He came into the home of two sisters who argued over household duties while their mother-in-law was sick. He moved among those who were prejudiced against outsiders and foreigners. He wept with those who had lost loved ones, and everywhere, everywhere he brought what? Not judgment, but help me here, mercy and forgiveness and grace and love. He brought healing and a transformation from a new beginning. And so when I meet the Lord on that final day, why should I think he'd be any less merciful to me or to you? Do you think Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead that he will suddenly turn into some ruthless magistrate who tallies up the score against us? Do you think he will turn into someone resembling the current political fervors of our time? Judging each other? Do you think he's just going to chalk up every little moment in your life of every hurt pride that comes along? No, dear friends, I think not. I think who meets us will be the same loving and merciful God whom I've known my entire life, the one who died and rose again so that I will be forgiven, the blessed Savior who's accompanied me in my life and my daily way, and who will never leave me. Now you ask, okay, well, what does that have to do with communion? <laughs> Legitimate question. I'm probably... <clears throat> 
in my heart of hearts, a little more Catholic than most Methodists. And those of you who tend toward the Baptist end of things, I, I sort of tend toward the Catholic end of things. Okay? And, and while I don't believe that in the bread and the cup there is a literal transformation okay, that takes place into Jesus' blood and his body, but I do believe... Every time I come forward and the cup is offered, this is his body broken for you, Welch. This is his blood shed for you, Welch. That it is Christ himself who meets me at this table. And the significance of Holy Communion today and every day is discovered for me in the reality that this old buzzard who can't climb out of a hole on his own okay, is met at the table by a loving Lord who forgives and who loves me. Each time we come then, I pray that we might be met by the Lord who loves us and who cares for us. Why don't you all do me a favor? Are, are there hymnals in the pew racks? Y'all help me here. I can't see. Yeah, take one out for a minute. Okay? And I want you to turn with me to page number. Let me find the right one here. Okay? Page number 14 in your hymnals. You look down into the first, second, third paragraph that begins, and so. Do you all see that? And, and so. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ. And what have we remembered? We've remembered that Christ is born, lived, and died for whom? Say me. Me. That that's happened in our lives. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Say it with me. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit then on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for me the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his, spirit, by his blood. Make your, by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. I just want you to say those two lines with me. Until Christ comes in final victory... And we feast at his heavenly banquet. And the reminders that come to me of my own mortality and my end. The promise that is made in the scripture of the Lord's return. Christ comes in final victory. And the promise of forgiveness is that I will feast at the heavenly banquet with him. So here's what I say to you today about our Holy Communion. Trust that what occurs at this table is a meeting 
A meeting between a Lord who forgives you and loves you and welcomes you into his midst. And then, friends, go out and live like you've been forgiven. I say all this in the name of the Spirit of our Lord, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and invite you to join with me as we say together, Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, as we trust in you, we trust in your forgiveness in the midst of life. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as a forgiven and reconciled people, we might go out and serve you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.